0: Hello, and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We pray that you're encouraged by today's message from our associate pastor, Peter Vischer. Amen. All right, Acts 25 and 26. Before we get there, I want to go back to Acts chapter 9 just for a moment, and I want you to check out a prophecy that was spoken about the Apostle Paul. So, there's this good man, his name is Ananias, and the reason I say he's a good man is because the last two Sundays we've been talking about a bad man named Ananias, so clearly Ananias is a common name back then. Uh, The bad one is this extremely corrupt guy on the Jewish high council, but many chapters earlier, Acts chapter 9, there's a good Ananias, and he baptizes Saul of Tarsus. That was Paul's name before he became the Apostle Paul, and Saul was this crazy, violent, legalistic Pharisee who is transformed by God's spirit into what we now know him in this story, the Apostle Paul. But God says to Ananias in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, he says, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Did you catch that? Gentiles, kings, and the people of Israel. Remember that theme, because that's where we're going. And then look at the next verse, because it gives context to where Paul is, now in Acts 25 and 26. It says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Anybody have that on a fridge magnet, on your fridge? (laughs) Mm, I will show him how much he must suffer, wow. I don't think Paul planned for that when he was a little boy. I'm gonna grow up and I'm gonna suffer because I have a relationship with God. And I want you to know God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. That plan may not unfold exactly the way that you plan it. Uh, I read this week that if you put Paul's journeys together, Man, this guy traveled over 21,600 kilometers walking from city to city doing what God said he would do. He spoke to Jews, he spoke to Gentiles, he spoke to kings, synagogue rulers, rulers of Gentiles, philosophers in Athens, and eventually, you're going to see it today, where he's going. He's on his way soon to see Nero, uh, Caesar, the emperor of Rome. Now, in the chapter Pastor Hayward read last week, Paul was in Caesarea and he was brought before a Roman governor named Antonius Felix. We're not going to focus on Felix today, but I want to keep you in the loop. Uh, The Emperor Nero fired Felix. He got fired, and under his rule, crime greatly increased in the province of Judea. Felix mismanaged situations and people, and he would receive bribes, and so he was replaced. That's why there's a new governor in this chapter that we're moving into. The end of Acts 24, it says Felix kept Paul in prison but would call on him often because he hoped that Paul would bribe him. That's at the end of Acts 24. Paul didn't bribe Felix. And so two years go by. Wow. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. That sets the stage for the next governor. His name is Porcius and this new governor continues to be hounded by these Jews. The Jewish people, they hate Paul. They hate him so much. They want to kill him. Paul has been telling foreign people, Gentile people, about the new way of Jesus, and and man, they're so ticked off about it. So let's start with the first 12 verses of Acts 25. It says, three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and listen to what they did. They made accusations against Paul and they asked Festus as a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem, planning to ambush him and kill him along the way. Festus replied, Paul, that Paul was at Caesarea, and he himself, he'd be going back to Caesarea soon. And so he said, those of you in authority can return with me, and if Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. About eight or ten days later, that's what Festus did. He returned to Caesarea, and on the following day, he took his seat in the court and ordered that Paul was brought in When Paul arrived, here we go again, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations that they couldn't prove. Paul was pretty simple about it. He denied the charges. I'm not guilty of any of the crimes against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government, he said. Festus, he's kind of no different than Felix in the previous chapter, wanting to please the Jews. He asked them, Paul, are you willing to go to Jerusalem to stand trial before me? I think Paul saw right through it. Oh, they're planning to kill me if we do that. No, this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried here. You know very well that I'm not guilty of harming the Jews. And then he says, if I've done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I'm innocent, no one has the right to turn me over to these men to kill me. There it is. It kind of shows that he sees what's really happening. And then he says, I appeal to Caesar... He's not feeling very safe, I take it. I think he knows, we need to kick the court up a notch. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, very well, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. All right, we're gonna read some more in just a few minutes. But as we look at the different people in Acts 25 and 26, I've given them a character profile. And you have to wonder, if God was to give you a character profile, what would he say about you? What would he say? Because we want, to, we want to have godly character. We don't want our character to be colored by religious legalism, by desire for fame or fortune. We don't want our character to be influenced by the wills and the woes of other people. We want godly character. We want good, luck, good character, Christ like character. And as my message says, we get to choose our character. It's developed as we honor and obey God every day. So the first characters that I want to look at today are the Jews. We're going to talk about the Jews. And here's the character profile that I've given the Jews. The Jews are committed, but cruel. They're committed, but cruel. Fiercely committed to their belief system. How do I know that? Well, it's been two years I mean, some of you know what this is about. When you're really offended, when you're really mad, you're really hurt, maybe you hang on to things longer than two years. But it's been two years since Paul came to the temple in Jerusalem. Paul gave his defense two years ago in Jerusalem at a place called the Antonia Fortress, and then he was transferred to Caesarea, and it was thrown out of court. Felix And now Festus are like, we can't find anything wrong with this guy. Two years later, they're still trying to get Paul. And what I want to say about that is it should speak to us about the hate that gets into the human heart and the offense that gets into the human heart where people don't even think clearly anymore. They just want their agenda. Now, um, maybe like you, I'm so curious about the history here. I'm so curious. So I was just like, why were the Jews so upset? This takes us back to Acts 20 and 21. It's mentioned that when Paul was in Jerusalem visiting the temple two years ago, uh, the Jews thought that Paul brought a foreigner an Ephesian Gentile, his name was Trophimus, into the inner courts of the temple. And you you don't bring Gentiles into the inner courts of the temple. Now, we don't know if Paul did that. Some Jews who were visiting from Asia at that time, they brought this complaint forward, hey, this guy brought a Gentile into inner courts. But the Jews who had issued the complaint against Paul, guess where they are? They're back in Asia. They're back in Asia, and so there's no eyewitnesses. And Paul talks a lot about including foreigners and Gentiles in God's plan, and man, they just hate it because they thought that they were um, favored at the exclusion of other people. And so the character profile here. I want you to envision angry and certainly not forgetful legalistic Jews. But here's another point in these chapters that gives us insight into their ferocious commitment. You can look at the Apostle Paul. In Acts 26, Paul talks about the person that he was before becoming a Christian. Verse 4, it says, As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Verses 9 to 11, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the name of Jesus. Indeed, I did just that. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them, and they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Wow. And so, how do we know that these guys are ferociously committed? How do we know that they're cruel, and possibly another word I could use is corrupt. Paul used to be exactly like them. Paul used to do the same stuff, so committed that they're willing to resort to cruelty. The Jews are trying to coerce the governor to transfer Paul because they want to kill him. They tried it in Acts 23 when I was preaching two weeks ago. They're trying it again. They're heaping on false accusations. They're slandering him. What do we learn about this character profile? What do we learn about the Jews? Listen to me, church, when somebody's beliefs turn them into a hateful, vengeful, angry, bitter person, you probably have reason to question their beliefs. There's probably something wrong if that person's need to be right causes them to attack other people maybe not physically, I don't know, we don't set up ambushes on the side of the road anymore to try to take out our friends that we disagree with, right? Uh, But maybe with our words, with our responses, you know, on social media, with our reactions to other people. The word cruel, what it means is willfully to cause pain and to feel no concern about it. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're okay with that, there's a problem. If you can willfully cause pain to another person and you walk away and you feel justified, mm, I just hurt them, no, sorry, there, there's actually something very wrong with that. That's not who we're to be as Christians. Our story today says that the Jews circled around Paul. They accused him, they ganged up on him, they slandered him, they wanted to kill him. And what's crazy about it is Judaism, or sorry, Christianity is just a continuation Judaism and Christianity have a close link. In verse 6 of chapter 26, Paul says, I'm on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day. They share the same hope that I have. I think that there's some Christian people, some religious people, and they've hung on to some dogma and some doctrine, and they're hanging on to rules and legalism and whatnot, and they're losing the plot. They're losing the fact that it's a continuation that leads us into grace and leads us into the mercy of God and leads us into His kindness and His goodness. Somewhere, the Jews lost sight of this, and they couldn't see it when Jesus came. And you know what bad religion does it turns us inward. It makes us obsessed with our own self-efforts. It, it makes us stop relying on God's grace and His love for people, and instead, we do everything we can to maintain control. And we start trying to control other people as well, trying to trap them in their words and condemn them and hurt them, and man, that's not who we are, church. If you know somebody who has faith, somebody who's, you know, says I'm a Christian or is religious and that's kind of their mentality on living things out, it's not right. Our first character study should make us question, what are we most committed to? Is it to ourselves? Is it to our own plan? Or is it to God and what He wants? A lot of religious people will say, oh, it's all for God. It's all for God. But their actions prove otherwise. They want control. They want what they want. And when words and actions are damaging people around you, man, God's not in it. That's not how God calls us to be as followers of the true way, as followers of Jesus. But the evidence, church family, of true, genuine, beautiful relationship with God is always loving. And some of us who are truth people, doesn't mean you can't tell the truth. God calls us to speak the truth in love. God calls us to be full of truth and grace. Even if it's truthful, it should have good motive. There's no desire to hurt others, but only to help them. Commitment to God doesn't reek of religiosity and self-importance. It's in keeping with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, amen? What are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? We all learned this as kids, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, these are the things that just exude and come off of our lives when there is right commitment to God. And those are the characters that we choose to be, amen? So there's lots that we can learn from the way that these Jews went about their faith. Second character, number two, all right? Uh, I've told you a little bit about him. His name is Festus. He's the Roman governor. Here's the character profile. We're going to have a bit of a laugh at Festus. In command, but totally clueless. In command, totally clueless. Here's the thing. Before I give Festus a hard time, I I don't mind Festus. I don't mind him at all. Jewish historians describe him as an improvement from the previous guy, Felix. Festus loved Roman law. He, he did things above board. When he's first established as the new governor of Judea, he's a good politician. He hops in his chariot and he goes down to Jerusalem to get acquainted with the people in the big city. And he learns that there's a guy named Paul who has been in jail for two years. It's funny, the previous guy to gain favor with the Jews kept him in prison. Now the new guy to gain favor with the Jews says, let's pick up the trial, Let, let's hear it. He tries to gain more favor by asking if Paul would be willing to be transferred to Caesarea from Jerusalem, or sorry, to Jerusalem from Caesarea. I don't know if Festus knew that they wanted to kill him. I don't know if he knew that they were going to ambush him on the road. It doesn't seem like he does, but he says, no, this is a Roman court. We're going to keep him here. Festus is in command. He's calling the shots. Why is he clueless? Why is Festus clueless? It's because he's not religious. He's not religious, and in the course of this trial, he's going to learn that Paul is caught up in religious controversy. And he's not revolting against the Roman government. I mean, that would have been easy. You just stamp that out, kill him. But Festus is a secular guy trying to figure out why the Jews want to kill a man for violating their religion. And so here's what happens. We're going to pick up the story in verse 13 of chapter 25. Festus has a visit with one of his buddies. His name is King Agrippa, and that's going to be our third character. And in the conversation, we're going to see that Festus, he's kind of clueless. Um, Verse 13, a few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister Bernice to pay their respects to Festus. During their stay of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a prisoner here whose case was left to me by Felix. And when I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and Jewish elders pressed charges against him, and they asked me to condemn him. I pointed out to them that Roman law does not convict people without a trial. There must be an opportunity to confront their accusers and defend themselves. What does that tell you? It tells you he's in command. He's above board, he's a good Roman governor. Verse 17, when his accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay, I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul to be brought in. Why is he clueless? Verse 18, the accusations made against him weren't any of the crimes I expected. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus, who Paul insists is alive. What does verse 20 say? I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things. And so Pet- Festus is trying to figure this out. Paul has appealed to Caesar, Nero. And at the end of chapter 25, he says, Man, we need to have another hearing because I don't even know what to put on the paper. I don't even know how to specify the charges against this guy. And he's going to the highest court in the land. Like, what do i even say and so what do we learn from governor festus we've already talked about the jews what do we learn from him he he made me think that there's a lot of people who have a measure of command in this life they have a they have a they they govern a particular area they're successful maybe in their work, and they live in a nice home and a nice neighborhood, and they want to have good relationship with those around them, you kind of catch this vibe from Governor Festus. Trying to do a good job to manage responsibilities. Maybe you're thinking of people right now. But when it comes to spiritual conversations, when it comes to conversations about Jesus and about God, they're lost, They're clueless. They have no idea how to navigate that. I'm thinking about my neighbors right now. I'm thinking about people that I know in the community. And what can be challenging for us as followers of Jesus, we center our lives around all things spiritual. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. But these men and women of influence, they have a role to play in impacting our story. Maybe you're related to a guy like Festus or maybe you work for a guy, he's your employer, he's your boss, or maybe you share a backyard with a guy like Festus and a person in command of whatever, whatever sphere he is in, but when it comes to conversation about God, you get a funny look. You know, their eyes kind of glaze over a little bit and they're just like, oh, well, confused. But here's how I want to encourage you God has you face to face with them for a reason. God brings you face to face with those neighbors over the fence. He brings you face to face with those men and women of affluence and influence, and it's an opportunity for you to share your character. It's an opportunity for God to go to work on their character. It doesn't go well for Paul. Let me tell you why. Paul is courageous. He shares his testimony in chapter 26. Verses 6 and 7, Paul gives some Jewish history um, about how his ancestors pointed to the Messiah as the fulfillment of God's plan. In verses 12 to 18, Paul talks about how he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He says, I was chosen by Jesus to share this message of God's story. In verse 19, he says, I'm obeying a heavenly vision. Have you ever said that? to the people you work for? Listen, I'm obeying a heavenly vision. What would they say? What would they do? I've been preaching everywhere that people need to repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good works they do. Festus hears all of this. You know what he does? This is crazy. Verse 24 of chapter 26. Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. Paul replied, I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus. He honors the command. I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. And what I believe is God's going to bring you before some interesting characters he's going to bring you before some secular, worldly people. You know, I kind of get intimidated by it. People who have money, people who have title and position, and I kind of start getting insecure, and I'm just like, oh, probably thinks I'm a total nut job, you know, because past- as soon as I say pastor, they go, oh boy, <laughs> right? But those are opportunities for your character to shine. And Church, I just wanna say, don't be envious of those around you who have a measure of command and authority in this life. Don't be jealous of their position in this world. Don't be jealous of their bank account and their big truck and their degree and their title at work, because none of it matters in the light of eternity. None of those things matter. Festus's position as a Roman ruler of a province signifies authority in a little kingdom. You know, okay, I don't know why this is coming to mind right now. My father-in-law is a pilot, and I went flying with him, and I just had the strangest thoughts when I was in the air with him. I'm looking at these tiny little squares, tiny little towns and acreages and yards, and man, it's, it's pretty small, isn't it? Especially when you get up in the sky, you're just like, man, it is a little kingdom it is so tiny and yet i worry about the weeds in my backyard and i obsess over them it's it's a little kingdom it's a it's a little bank account that pastor peter has you know it's a little right but there's a much bigger kingdom that Paul is a part of. There's a much bigger kingdom that Pastor Peter and each one of you are a part of. Having command and authority and position in this world, man, it's so temporary. It's so temporary. Um, Jewish history tells us Festus was the governor. You know how long? Two years. Then he died. No idea how he died. Two years. That was it. I encourage you, pray for your unbelieving friends and neighbors. God may be placing somebody on your heart. Pray that the eyes of their understanding would be opened, that they would comprehend spiritual truths. Pray that, like Paul, you would be obedient in those conversations, that you would say, look, I'm not crazy. I believe this with all my heart and soul, and I am boldly sharing it with you today. Amen? All right, so we've talked about the Jews, we've talked about Governor Festus. Let's look at the third character in our character study today. His name is King Agrippa. Another name for King Agrippa is Herod Agrippa. Now, I know none of this is helpful for, like, you know, my application today, but can I just tell you some history on this guy? I have so much fun with this. This is awesome. Um, Herod Agrippa's grandpa was named Herod Antipas. And this is the Herod who was visited by the wise men from the east, and the Herod who had all the babies in Bethlehem killed to try to kill Jesus when he was an infant. His granddad was the guy that beheaded John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. His dad, Herod Agrippa II, bad dude, like bad character. He's the guy who beheaded the apostle James, He's also the king who stood in the great theater of Caesarea before thousands of people. There's this story, I think it's also in the book of Acts, where where he's standing there in a gold robe that shone in the sun, and people are like, oh, like they're just pouring on flattery on Herod Agrippa I, and they said things like, it's the voice of a god and not a man, and he just loved it, and he soaked it in. Do you know what happened to this guy's dad? God struck him dead on the stage. He died. The Bible says he was eaten by worms. Like, so this third Herod, crazy lineage, crazy story, like wow. And here's the thing, he's not actually Roman, although he's in cahoots with the Romans. He's, he's kind of working with them. He's not really that powerful. The Romans gave him this tiny little territory to manage in northern Israel. And Herod Agrippa II is coming to Festus to pay his respects and to congratulate him on his new role as governor. Here's the thing, Agrippa is different from Festus because he's actually very familiar. He's familiar with Jewish history, he knows about Jesus, and uh, Festus is like, yeah, this guy's got some context, I'm gonna get him to consult on the case. And so here's the character profile I've chosen for Herod Agrippa II. He's curious, but non-committal. Curious. How is he curious? Yeah, well, my grandpa tried to kill little baby in Bethlehem, supposed king of the Jews. I think his name was Jesus. Yeah, my dad he beheaded one of this guy's disciples, his name was James, he's heard the stories, he has some Jewish you know, familiarity. It says at the end of 25, he says, I want to hear Paul speak. How else is he curious? Well, I already outlined the majority of chapter 26. Paul is talking about his Jewish upbringing, his training as a Pharisee, his calling an appointment by Jesus. There's this moment in Acts 26, where Paul looks Agrippa right in the eyes. Urgent that Agrippa would believe and accept what he's saying. Festus is sitting right next to him, making fun of him. Paul turns his attention to Agrippa, stares him down, and this is what he says. He says, King Agrippa knows about these things. I want you to imagine Paul passionate. I speak boldly, for I am sure that these events are familiar to him. They were not done in a corner. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And before Agrippa can answer the question, he says, I know that you do. Agrippa interrupted him, probably getting a bit shaken up and heavy with conviction, and he says, do you think that you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? I wanna wanna be fair, there's a couple of interpretations on verse 28. Another Bible version, Agrippa says, you are nearly convincing me to become a Christian. So was, was was he scoffing at Paul saying, ha, you think so quickly you could convince me to become a Christian? Or was he saying, oh, in such short time, like I mean, Paul can speak, Paul can preach in such short time, you're nearly convincing me to become a Christian. Paul knew that Agrippa was wrestling with the history. He was wrestling with the truth about Jesus. He was curious to hear Paul, and so he calls him out, and deep in his heart, I think that Agrippa knew that all the signs were pointing toward Jesus. So curious, and yet so casual, so noncommittal. And the other Jews were overly committed to a fault. This guy, not committed at all. To be noncommittal means to have no definite opinion or course of action. What does the Bible say? I would rather that you be hot or cold, but if you are warm, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's what the Word of God says. Agrippa is even more disappointing than Governor Festus. At least Festus was black and white. Agrippa knew the truth. He knew the history, but he wouldn't go so far as to change his mind and his lifestyle. Some of you in this room, I'm going to be a bit hard on you right now. Maybe you're non committal. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. It means to kind of dabble in some awareness, to dabble in knowledge, but you won't dedicate yourself fully. And what I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me this week is there is no reward in heaven for almost faith. There's no reward in heaven for nearly became a Christian. There's no reward in heaven. There's no almost faith in the kingdom of God. And just like Agrippa, again, there's people watching online today and in this room, you know that if you were to stand up and say, Jesus is Lord, I believe that he's God's son, he died for my sins, he's the pathway to heaven, people sitting next to you would go, really? You believe that? That's what Festus is doing. He's sitting there next to Agrippa, you know? And you know that others would ridicule you, and you know that you would have to make some changes. Agrippa lived a lavish life. What did I say about his dad? His dad put on a big gold robe and stood in the sun. And let it shine on him, and the people poured flattery on him. Listen to what it says about Agrippa's entrance into the courtroom. It says, Agrippa and Bernice, that was his sister, arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Man, that's a light description. If you look deeper, they loved crowns, they loved elaborate clothing, they lived lavishly. It says they loved their association with prominent people and military men and they soaked it in. And I can't help but think that there are people today, maybe even people who come to church once a month or once every two months, and, but they're unwilling to identify with the sacrifice of Jesus. But this life is fleeting. It's the same point as I made with Governor Festus. Don't live for a little kingdom. Agrippa had this tiny little territory in northern Israel that the Romans said, here, you can take care of this. That was it. Don't live for a little kingdom. Live for God's kingdom. It transcends this life. Amen? Amen. All right, who's the fourth character? Any guesses? Paul, (laughs) the Apostle Paul. Paul is Christ-like, but captive. Paul is captive. He's bound. He's a prisoner. It's not fun to be a prisoner, is it? But look at his character in the face of the trial. Verse 29, it shares his response to King Agrippa. Agrippa says, dude, you're nearly convincing me to become a Christian. Do you think that in such short time you can convince me? Paul replied and he said, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Except for these chains indicates the captive part, but become exactly as I am. Come on, church, it indicates the Christ-like part. None of us want chains. There are many chains in this life. Pastor Hayward talked about that last week. We suffer sometimes, we're disappointed, we experience loss, people hurt us, our plans don't succeed. But I just wanna brag on some of you this morning. Some of you in this room, you have this spirit-inspired resilience, and it reminds me of Jesus. Jesus took up his cross and said, "Father, your will be done." Jesus for who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Man, we go through hard things, don't we, Pastor Ed? We go through hard things. And yet people can look at your life and say, "Man, how do you have joy? I still got joy in chaos." What do we sing this morning? I've got peace that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and you say, I wouldn't want you to go through the things that I've gone through, but I sure want you to know Jesus. And like Paul, you have a testimony of God's goodness, you know his mercy. He forgave you when you were the worst of sinners. He set you free from a destructive past. He's calling you forward into a good purpose. That's the character that you want to be in this story. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.